Have you ever had to hold still for a CT scan? The process was a little more complicated for Larry the five-foot leopard moray eel, whose keepers in Tacoma, Washington, observed suffering from a mass on his skin that they worried could be cancer. Scanning the slippery Larry ended up involving a heated mobile tank, drugged water, a giant Tupperware, and baking soda. But don't worry, Larry is cancer-free. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Here is what I'm following this week. The Food and Drug Administration said over the weekend that doctors who are prescribing abortion pills to people who aren't pregnant yet are acting without the agency's approval. This is notable because it could be a serious blow to what's known as advanced provision, an increasingly common practice post-Roe v. Wade that progressive advocates argue helps patients be prepared for unintended pregnancies. And open enrollment for Affordable Care Act health plans kicks off today, meaning you are able to shop around for what could be a cheaper and better insurance plan. Premiums are going up by about 4% on average this year, but people won't feel those increases thanks to subsidies recently extended by Congress. This is a huge initiative for the Biden administration, which is spending a record $99 million on navigators to help people find the best plan for them and their families. And my colleague Lauren Gardner has been reporting on pediatric hospitals around the country that have been pushed to capacity by the convergence of a bunch of different nasty viruses. So, Lauren, people know a lot about COVID and they know a lot about the flu, but they don't know a lot about the third one. So what what should we know? So that the third virus that you are probably starting to hear more about but maybe weren't super familiar with before is known as RSV. And that's respiratory syncytial virus. Try saying that five times fast. But it's actually way more common than a lot of people realize, including myself, frankly, before several months ago. Because we've all, generally speaking, we've all had it. We've all been infected with this thing before. It typically causes common cold symptoms, especially for an adult like you or me. Sniffles, stuffy nose for a few days, then, you know, you're good to go. The problem is that, as one doctor put it to me, when the extremes of age catch this thing, so the very, very young infants, especially anyone born premature who might have some heart or lung development issues, and then the very old, they tend to have worse outcomes with this, and it can make them super sick. So what you're seeing right now is just this convergence of several different viruses circulating. You know, we've all seen that flu numbers are getting very, very high very early in the respiratory viral season uh, for this year. RSV is part of that too, a handful of other viruses. And of course, COVID hasn't gone away. It's creating a situation, especially on the pediatric side, where hospitals across the country are just overrun with really, really sick kids. And RSV is a, has been a big driver of it. And so is it the convergence with the other viruses that is making public health folks really freaked out about this because you wrote that this virus has been around since at least the 1960s. So why are we hearing so much about it now? Yeah. So part of it is the convergence with other viruses, but there also has been a a documented spike specifically in RSV cases. There were more than 6,000 confirmed cases. So confirmed on some kind of test, you know, PCR antigen during the week of October 22nd. And that's across all age groups. So that's not just pediatrics. That's also anybody who ends up in the hospital with this. But that also represents those that were severe enough to seek medical attention. Because the other thing with RSV is that it is not common to get directly tested for it. 
So if you're seeing numbers spike that CDC is reporting, that's, that's when you know it's bad because those people are most likely in the hospital. That also means that that number is an undercount. And to put it into context, there were fewer than 30 recorded RSV cases during the last week of October in 2020. So what's really notable about the RSV surge we're seeing this year is that it was essentially non-existent in 2020, back when uh, social distancing was the norm, mask usage was more widespread, people were just generally keeping their distance, and you know a lot of those safeguards kind of fell down last year, and there was definitely an increase in cases, but it wasn't nearly the level that we've seen so far this season. And then the other thing about this quote-unquote season is that it started way earlier than medical systems are used to. Cases really started climbing in August, and that is you know two, three, four months earlier than they're used to. Uh, so the seasonality of these kinds of viruses that tend to circulate once kids go back to school is, has just been totally thrown off. So I got my flu shot yesterday. I hope everybody listening is getting there soon. Why can't we get shots for RSV? And could that change soon? That's a great question. And that was the question I had last week. Um, So the answer is that there's been a lot of research into developing a vaccine for RSV. Basically, since the 60s, this virus wasn't discovered until, I believe, the late 50s. So there has been a lot of research. There was an early attempt to vaccinate very young children in the 60s, and it did not go well. The kids who did get vaccinated ended up getting sicker once they were exposed to the actual virus. That set the field back quite a bit in terms of finding a vaccine solution, especially targeted towards the pediatric population. But there was a huge breakthrough in about 2013 where researchers, including some affiliated with the National Institutes of Health, discovered what has turned into what appears to be the best way to kind of craft the vaccine to work best to produce antibodies that, you know, mimic what happens when you're infected with RSV. So since that has been discovered, uh, a bunch of companies have gotten into the space to try and develop vaccines. So then the question becomes, which population do we target? There are a couple of options that are being examined for kids, but the ones that are closest to seeking regulatory approval are actually focused on older adults. And GSK is one example, Pfizer is another, where they've recently presented data and have suggested that they are going to seek regulatory approval sometime this year for their vaccine candidates. And then another approach that some drug makers are looking into is vaccinating pregnant people, especially people in their third trimester, because that's something that's actually already done for pertussis, more widely known as whooping cough. Pregnant people in their third trimester are strongly encouraged to get vaccinated with the Tdap vaccine during that time because you can pass the antibodies on to the fetus and then provide some protection to your baby in their early months of life when they're too young to get vaccinated. So that's another approach that's being looked at for some of these candidates too. Thanks so much, Lauren. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I just returned from reporting on the fight over abortion rights in Michigan, where I found Democrats in the Rust Belt state making a somewhat unique pitch to voters. Abortion bans are bad for business. 
Recent polls show that economic stress is outranking abortion concerns for voters. So Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who is up for re-election, is arguing the two issues are intertwined. And that's why this is not just a personal decision. It's not just about health care. It's about our economy, too. I sat down for an interview with her at a distillery in Lansing. I can tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be working to draw investment into Michigan once we lock women's rights into law. You saw Eli Lilly say that they weren't going to continue investing and growing in Indiana because they are now a completely anti-choice state. They should come to Michigan. Best workforce, low cost of living, high quality of life, and women can make their own decisions about their bodies. That's the story I want to be able to tell. Until November 8th, though, I'm going to fight like hell to make sure that I can tell it. Whitmer currently has a five-point lead over GOP rival Tudor Dixon, but it's a lead that has been narrowing. Even though polls show strong support for a measure codifying abortion rights in the state constitution that Whitmer has closely tied to her campaign. Well, I hear from business all the time that they are feeling the weight of the she session, right? COVID, meaning women left the, left the workplace. If we want women to come into the workplace, we want women to come to Michigan, we better not be taking away their rights to be full citizens and be able to make their decisions about their own bodies and their health. And that's what's at risk here. There's growing anxiety among Democrats nationwide that voter outreach over Roe versus Wade and the loss of abortion rights in more than a dozen states won't be enough to push their candidates over the finish line. And while some business owners told me Whitmer's argument is resonating with them, we haven't yet seen any major companies making big hiring or relocation decisions based on a particular state's actions on abortion. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting, Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.